Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight is Thursday, November 16th, 2023. We don't have to ask church, but I'm going to. Have you been blessed by the last three weeks? Yes. Come on, we know that you have, and we're right alongside you in that sentiment. It has been amazing what we've been given. Do you know what, church? We aren't even close to being done. We have so much more that we're going to be getting into. So, we're going to need you to buckle up that seatbelt, because we're just getting started. The past three weeks have been glorious, and like Elder Eric said, you can't buy this stuff anywhere. And what you can buy, it's not worth purchasing. Sermons like apologetic, unapologetic Zionist, unwavering loyalty, the Ittai doctrine, adopted, not co-opted, the right end of the funnel. And finally, reversing ignorance. Amen. Have you guys been experiencing some uh, reversal of ignorance? Yeah. Amen. The length and breadth of what we have been given is worth going back over as we all personally take it upon ourselves to understand what the Bible says started from the right end of the book. Amen. We want to engage with you tonight about the impact of the word from Sunday and our engagement of what the next response should be. Amen. Let's start back at the beginning of the message from Sunday. Come on. Guys, that uh, first point that we were learning about on Sunday was shemming the foundation. We learned about labor pains and the process to produce life uh, will get increasingly more difficult the closer you get to the actual promise. Isn't that true? Yeah. Haven't you noticed that in your own life? Even more so, you can look in the word and see that in Israel's life to this very day. The pathway to salvation has always come through and always will come through the people of Israel. Did we all get that from Sunday? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we all heard it, but I can assure you, it needs to get down even deeper. Yeah. Jesus is forecasted to bring salvation to all tribes of Israel, and Israel is forecasted to bring salvation to all the nations. Yeah, there wasn't as many yes there. I know why. Because we're still, we still want to say it was all done in Yeshua. It was all done in Jesus, but before Jesus showed up on this earth, it was prophesied about in Isaiah, it was prophesied about in Genesis, that they would bless the nations, that they would be a light unto the nations, and yes, we see that fulfillment in Yeshua, but we will see it completely and totally fulfilled in Israel. If you do not get in the boat with Noah, you die. If you do not come to the tent of Shem... You die outside of Adonai. If you do not bless Abraham, you die a cursed man. We're learning what it looks like to stand with Israel in their trials, just like Ittai the Gittite. The next section was time of Jacob's trouble. So Jeremiah 31 is where they started. The new covenant that is being spoken of, who is it for? Israel. Israel. For all of Israel. He will bring all of Israel back to the land. And we have to remember that this has not been completely fulfilled yet. Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. You can see this riddled throughout the word of God that he will be their God and that they will be his people. Jeremiah 32, Israel is forecasted to never turn from God again. We have to remember that this has not been fulfilled completely either, right? Jeremiah 33, 
Just as I have established the fixed laws governing heaven and earth, so surely will I never reject the descendants of Jacob. I will restore them and show mercy to them. Again, we have to remember that this has also not been fulfilled completely yet. Jeremiah 30 is the book of consolation where Israel and Judah is completely dependent. It's about them. They are the center of it. No historical distress to date has shown uh, to date what will happen is still to come. A great reckoning day is coming, and it will depend on how the nations relate to Israel. It will reveal those that stand with Israel and those that do not. It's not just about what you did to Israel, but what you did not do as well. Yeah, did you provide them with water? Did you provide them with food, with shelter, or with clothing? Next, we went to Isaiah 49. And there's a connection there with the Balkan bow, yeah. which is so exciting. Yeah. It is true that Israel will be regathered from the ends of the earth, primarily from the area outlined in the biblical text, north and west of Israel and the area of Aswan. Yeah. Its high attitude in Isaiah 49 is the, is, is the Gentiles standing with Israel. We must stand with them and remind them who they are in the midst of the difficulty. Toward the end of that message, we, we were uh, pointed back to the orphan message. I was encouraged to go to Pastor Nick, get notes from him. I was also encouraged to go back to Elder Eric and get his notes on it. We don't need that recording as much as we would like to have it because it's been perpetuated over, over the last decade. Amen. I know since I've been in this church, I have heard about this orphan message, and I'm still growing in my understanding of it. That the issue that started in Genesis 21 has lasting impressions that we are still facing today, yeah. right? Those issues that we're talking about are the issues between Ishmael and Isaac. And that they believe that Isaac is the problem to this day. Ishmael should be the biggest advocate for Isaac. And you look around this room and you see these brothers standing alongside you. Wouldn't you say that you're their, you're their biggest advocate? I would say, I love Andrew Tisdale. I'm going to die for my brother's vision. Don't you? How much more so should Ishmael do that for Isaac? Genesis 25 is the answer to this process, right? We see Ishmael and Isaac coming back together to bury their father Abraham. We see sons fully reunited. This is in no way exhaustive, an exhaustive look back at Sunday's message. Like we said, you should go back and continue to glean from it. What we would like to do now is invite you into what we have gleaned from the message on Sunday as well as the past few weeks. Amen. Yeah. All right. With a raise of hands, who's re-listened to Sunday's message since Sunday? Who's listened to it twice since Sunday? Three times? Amen. We have some diligent students in this room, and what we're encouraging you guys is to step up in your studies at the Tanakh and to grow in your love and passion for it. See, we are reversing ignorance in our own lives, and where we want to start is Acts 13, 32 through 33. So this is Paul speaking. And he starts in verse 32, and he says, we tell you the good news. So he's going to talk about the gospel, right? Yeah. The gospel of Jesus. Yeah. What God promised our fathers, 
he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. So Paul's explanation of what the gospel is of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of promises from the Torah. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. This is what he is defining as the fulfillment of the gospel or coming into fruition. Luke 16, 16 through 17 is a well-trodden passage in this church and we usually think about forceful men that forcefully advance the gospel, right? The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. See, church, this is the message that teaches us what the gospel truly is. We can see two New Testament scriptures here that points us towards the Tanakh. Notice Paul in Acts 13 is referring to the writings. Jesus in Luke 16 is referring to the law and the prophets. We'll come back to the New Testament a little bit later from now, but for now, what is the gospel founded upon, church? The, the Tanakh. This is what the Newer Testament is saying is the gospel and the good news. It is the fulfillment of the Tanakh. This week, we've been engaging with the scriptures in a whole new way, reversing the ignorance in us has looked like us gaining a better understanding of the gospel by looking through the right end of the funnel. Yeah, this has changed everything in my personal gospel presentation. Going back to the Tanakh, understanding what my faith is built upon, what is good news for me, what do I have to proclaim, I need to go back and better understand the first 39 books of the Bible. Okay, is anybody else, is, has anybody else been gravitating toward that? Wait a minute, I need to understand what these promises mean for Israel first so that I can understand what it means for me. All right, it's always going to start with the man, the land, and the plan from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And this is something my children are starting to grasp. Yeah, I, uh, I had a physical encounter with reversing ignorance. A very, a very, very physical and real encounter. <laughs> Me and Paul are on the same plane here. Uh, when, when we, I made a decision, a very selfish decision, that I was done to have, I was done having kids. We had three beautiful kids and we were good to go. <laughs> so you can finally get the context of the reversing ignorance, okay? And we came, when we came down here in 2020, and uh, one of the first messages I listened to was A Thousand Generations, and it rocked me. For the first time, I realized how important generations were, and what I did, I cut them off. I took away the opportunity to have generations that will complete the work that I start. And that rocked me. And that came from the Tanakh. What I did not know before, I knew, and I made a choice to reverse that ignorance and get back onto what God's plan was. A plan to perpetually, generation after generation, bring about restoration for the entire earth, starting first with his people. And what my son now, Mordecai, a man for the generations, what he now has is the opportunity to pour into other people. He has the opportunity to grow up in what the Tanakh says and will be able to speak the very words of God to God's people and to others. And it's a very exciting thing. Yeah, that's a very real situation 
that we get to see that reversal of ignorance actually being able to transform the lives of the people around us. And, and they're doing it. We're going to do these things. Speaking about mezuzahs last night, I, uh, I had a, a realization that first and foremost, my mezuzah passage is about a man that's building Jerusalem for the salvation of Israel. I, I kind of just was gravitated to that passage because the Lord was speaking about it to me, but I, I didn't first and foremost look at who is God actually speaking about. And he's speaking about Hezekiah who's fighting with everything in him to rebuild Jerusalem for the sake of the people around him. Mm. See, that must be ingrained in all of us that our mezuzahs, what God has purposed in us, is to rebuild Jerusalem, is to rebuild a road to Jerusalem. See, I'm realizing and taking aim this week that I must take actual personal responsibility for my study, my doing, and my implementing and teaching the word of God to my family and to those around me. I must actually put into practice the things that God's taught our church. Not only have ignorant ways in our lives been reversed, we've also seen ignorant ways in which we read familiar scriptures that are changing our perspective on the true will of God. You guys want to hear these things? Let's go to Exodus 4, and we're going to start in 22, and we're going to read through 23. It says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. First and foremost, we got to see that Israel is God's firstborn son. Man, that, that's something that's been stirred in this church in Romans 8, that we are led, those led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And we love these passages, and we are thankful that we've been grafted in into sonship. But the reality is, is first and foremost, it was for God's people, Israel. And the Lord is zealous for them. God sent Joseph ahead to pre- preserve a remnant in Genesis 45. Generations later, Pharaoh has forgotten this and mistreated the people of God. But his plans, the God, the Lord's plans and purposes are irrevocable for Israel. Amen. Time and time again we see this, where they go through difficulty after difficulty and immense pressure, yet the Lord delivers them from all of their situations. And he makes his name holy through him, through them. We've learned to love our, our sonship as we call ourselves followers of the way, but we often neglect where our confidence should actually come from. God has proven himself faithful as a father to Israel and the nations blessed by Israel. Let us not live in ignorance any longer by neglecting this firstborn son. Yeah, yeah, we've seen what that result was for Pharaoh in Egypt, right? We all understand that. Can you uh, very quickly understand that that's exactly where you can be if you do not elevate Israel as God's firstborn son? If you do not obey the law according to what God has said for Israel, his firstborn son? Look, when we're talking about reversing ignorance, this has stirred something up inside of us to go back to the Tanakh. We're not cherry-picking scriptures. We are going back to scriptures that God has revealed to us about ourselves. but what he has first revealed to Israel is now how we're engaging with it. So Leviticus 26.12 says, And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. How many times in worship... Do we talk about feeling God's presence here? We can feel God walking in our midst, right? Yes? Okay, thank you for talking back. We need that engagement tonight. You can, you can say, oh, I'm walking with the Lord, or you may ask the question, how is your walk with the Lord? Leviticus 26.12 says, 
I will walk among you, Israel, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. So when Paul is quoting Psalm 2, like we heard in Acts 13, who is the son? Israel. When Jesus is talking about forcefully advancing the kingdom with a violent aggression, he's referring to the law and the prophets for Israel. And this is directly tied to Jeremiah 31. You heard some of these scriptures that we read earlier. What we're trying to get to tonight, you've heard it spoken about many times over the past few weeks. In fact, however long you've been here, you've heard it spoken about that we must recognize Israel as God's people first and foremost and that we're grafted in. But this in the reversing the ignorance means how are we living our life right now in accordance to that revelation? What are we doing right now in accordance to the revelation that God has chosen Israel to be his people? Yeah, Matthew 25, 35 through 40. We've, we've been discussing Matthew 25, right? We, we've had it in a couple of sermons here. This is something that, that has blindsided me. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I'm going to be completely honest, church. I've always read this, and even up until the last three weeks, I've always first thought about any poor person, any person that was hungry, any person that needed something, and I thought doing the good thing would be to just help anybody. If that's you, maybe that's you. I don't, maybe I'm the only one. That's fine. Yeah. And what is very pashat there, that when we actually have the biblical background of the Tanakh, we actually understand who is Jesus really talking to. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to about his brothers and sisters. And so we take that into the context and we actually understand the first thing to do is to help Israel. Yeah. It's always about helping Israel. We stand with Israel and aid them, whatever we have. You ever realize too, the things he's, he's talking about, what you can do for Israel, those aren't hard things to do. It's not hard to give somebody something to eat. I mean, there's a McDonald's basically on every corner in Texas. It's not hard to do this. It just takes the wherewithal of us to actually understand why we're doing it for them. We're, we're, we're siding with Israel. We're standing with them because that's what the word of God says to do. The word of God is for his people. And we want to see that the people have what they need. This has opened my eyes to see and understand Romans 15, 27 better. And it's actually a conviction that is growing ever deeper every day. It says, they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in, their, in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Wow. That is also another very Peshat statement. Yeah, yeah. Material blessings that we have. How can we share in something that is so good, and yet be so petty to not share something that we have? What we have, church 
I can go to any one of your houses and I can walk in and you guys have, you guys have uh, snacks. We have a snack cabinet, Cheez-Its and everything. But you have something to give. And the amazing thing is that we're just now learning correctly who we're to give it to. The first and foremost of it. Yeah. So I was reading in Deuteronomy 32, and y'all could all turn there. I'm going to read it in the LSB sound booth if you got that. That would be great. Nope. All right. But you're going to hear it. Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, says, O nations, cause his people to shout for joy. For he will avenge the blood of his slaves, and he will render vengeance on his adversaries, and he will atone for his land and his people. I don't even have to ask if you caught it, because I know you did. You heard the man, the land, and the plan in one scripture, right? Yes. Look, my engagement with this, O nations, that's goy or goyim, Gentiles, any other nation outside of Israel, you cause his people to shout for joy. The Lord desires to atone for his people Israel and the land of Israel, and it's our job to cause them to shout for joy. It's our job to spur them on to know that God will do, absolutely do this for them. We, as the nations, are the ones causing his people to shout for joy. We, as followers of the way, can fully understand the gospel of the man, the land, and the plan by going back to the Tanakh, by going back to the Torah, to the law of Moses, to the Nevim, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings of the Older Testament. This is how we know we must go back to, to the Tanakh. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10 and hear from Yeshua, who is the very fulfillment of Moses' law. So we're going to go to Luke 10 and read 25 through 28 in the ESV. What do we do? That is a question we want to answer tonight. Because we don't want to just have knowledge. We want to have right action in our lives. Intercession. Intercession is what we do. In verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to him, to, stood, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? By the way, that's the title of today's message. How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Did you hear that, church? Do this, and you will live. Walk these things out in the Tanakh, and you will live. Romans 13, 9 says, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, 14 says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James 2, 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Where does that come from? Well, don't turn there. We're going to read it to you. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There are so many scriptures we can go through, church, but the point is well heard that the law is for Israel first. And that law is to love your neighbor as yourself. If we also want to be doing well, or as Jesus said, to live, we must do this. We must love the Lord and our neighbor. 
Our love for the Lord must overflow into a love for his people, Israel. The word is the life of Israel and is a life to us when we study it, we do it, and we teach it. Let's look at some men in the word that did this. They loved the word. They loved the Lord, and they loved his people. So we're going to go to Exodus 32, 32. And you'll notice as we're reading Older Testament uh, or Newer Testament passages, we're going back to what it said in the original Older Testament text, Amen. right? You notice that? So every, everything that Jesus taught, that word says that to fulfill the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It is fulfilled in that. But we have to understand what that really means by going back to scriptures like Leviticus 19, like Exodus 32, 32, which says, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Saints, this is Moses. Moses is speaking on behalf of Israel, but it started with his love for the father first. It started for the promises that his father made, the covenants that were made, and his very word that Moses loved that then caused him to love his brother. He loved the Lord, and the Lord rescued him and rescued the nation of Israel. Moses stood in the gap for his people and was willing to be blotted out of the book of life. When we talk about intercession, do you think about that? Do you think about asking, Lord, blot me out so that these Jews might be saved? Have you ever prayed that prayer? I haven't. Even as I'm saying it tonight, it's convicting the hell out of me. Lord, blot out my name that these people might have life and that your word for them might come to pass. You know what that means, what Moses is really saying? I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that they have life. I am going to lay down my life and show what intercession means by loving my brother by laying down my life. When you love the God of Israel, you love the people of Israel. Second Samuel 15, 21. For all you Gentiles in the room, that's all of us. But Ittai replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. Do you think that it's because David is a king that Ittai stood with him? It's not. Otherwise, he wouldn't have mentioned anything about death. He wouldn't have mentioned anything about, man, I could actually die by going with you. But for the sake of your God, your Lord, and the sake that you are the king that he has anointed, I will go with you wherever you go. Amen. He's willing to be rejected by the king. Yeah. He actually, I mean, David was, was uh, trying to keep him from coming along. And he's, he said, no, this, this is, he was unwilling to be rejected. He said, I am going to go with you, and I am going to die with you, and I will live with you. He forsook all that stood, all, uh, he forsook all to stand with God's people. This must be our attitude in this house. Yeah. Amen. And, and yeah. we're getting it. We're hearing it. And, and I know it can sound like we're beating a dead horse, but I'm telling you right now, if you get the kind of revelation that we've received, it will cause you to want to love the people of Israel better. And it will start in your homes, and it will start with your brothers and your sisters on your left and your right. It's one thing to stand for the people of Israel when it's easy. 
But like Ittai, we are practicing this now because it is going to become more, more difficult. You will be put to the test again and again and again. Those contractions will continue to happen. That pressure will continue to build up until life is fully birthed inside of you. We can see that in the word and we promise you that is what it's going to look like. Will we do it when we face rejection from Israel? One person, the elder who's been preaching this for 30 years. Will we do it when you've been rejected by Israel? When you're actually saying, I love you because you're the people of God and they're, and they're mocking you, they're spitting at you, they're questioning your, your uh, genuineness because of past history. Will you continue to love them? Will you continue to go with them? Amen. Remember that you said that. We'll read later about Moses and Aaron who were facing rejection by the people, yet they risked their life for their sake. That is what we must do. This must be a conviction in our very souls. Let's turn to Romans 9, and we're going to read verses 2 through 5. See, that's incredible about Ittai. It's not just the fact that what he was doing was a separation from the world so that he could stand with Israel, but a possibility of being rejected by them also. Yet, he, lo he lost his life so that he could gain a life with them. Romans 9, starting in verse 2, it says, I... Have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receive, receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all, forever praised, amen. Oh my goodness, that's about as Jewish as it can possibly be, as Peshat as it possibly could be. But did you catch that where he said he was willing to be cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of his people? Church, this is the attitude that we must take, a love and a desperation to see the salvation of Israel. Paul says things like, my people, my own race, adoption of sonship, divine glory, covenants, receiving of the law, temple worship, promises, patriarchs, Messiah, all of these are coming from Israel. It sounds just like Moses in Exodus 32, which we just read. But speaking of Mo Moses, let's look at number 16. Yeah, before we go there, I, I just have to say, it was so easy for me to read this passage and to read over these things so quickly. To read over my people, my own race, the people of Israel, adoption of sonship, Divine glory, covenants, receiving of the law, temple worship, and the patriarchs. You see how you could just read over that and it doesn't mean that much to you? I, I, I'm telling you, I know what that feels like. I did the same thing, but when I stopped, I said, wait a minute. Paul is preaching the exact same thing that Jesus preached. Jesus is preaching exactly what he knew from the Torah. And Paul is saying right here, all of this, all of, we love to say that we're adopted as sons. We love to say that we're walking in the divine glory. We love to say that we have covenants and promises. But what is that founded upon? We have to ask ourselves that. And it must bring about a conviction inside of us to go back to the Tanakh. To read what it means for Israel. And then we can understand what it means for us and how we must fight and die for them. And that creates an urgency inside of us. It creates a desire to intercede for God's people. It really does. And we're going to look at what Moses and Aaron are doing here. And uh, if you guys remember from the One Association, uh, Pastor Zeke and uh, Pastor Mike preached a phenomenal message. And 
I could still feel, I could feel the tension when, when Pastor Zeke and Mike were there. And when he started going over how Moses would have interceded. And we, we typically read it where it's just like, yeah, take the censer, but, but, uh, but burning coals, you know, from the altar. That's not, that's not the, that's not how he felt in that moment. He knew what was happening to God's people, his people. And there was urgency in his voice for Aaron to move as quickly as possible. So if we go to the scripture here, it says, then Moses said to Aaron, take the censer, put burning coals from the altar in it, place incense on it and go quickly into the assembly and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron did as Moses commanded and ran into the middle of the assembly where the plague was just beginning among the people. So he placed incense on the coals and made atonement for the people. He stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. The intercession had urgency. He knew what must be done. He knew what it meant if he didn't. And he knew what must be done. He knew what must be done based upon what God spoke about Aaron and his line. He had that intimacy with God. He and his family were the only ones who could burn incense before the Lord. The only ones. He knew this and he knew what must be done. Yeah. Our application with this is we now know. We have heard. We know. Now what must be done? The interceding that we see of Moses to move quickly, expediently, if that's a word, expediently to, to intercede for the people that the plague would stop. Because he also knows, he knows what God said about his people. He knows about the covenant. He knows about what will be happening. Knowing what must be done is the matter of life and death, church. The life and death for God's people. There is no hesitation because Moses knows what must be done. So what must we do, church? We must know what to do in the moment. There's a reason why we're going over this for three weeks now. We must know what to do in the moment. We must have the ability to act with urgency and immediacy. There'll be times where we don't have the time to flip through the pages of our Bible. Our interaction with the word will be life-saving to our brothers, both Jew and Gentile, in the days to come. But it starts now. Our understanding will prove to be the difference between the living and the dead. So just to take this context of this number 16, who's, who's angry with Aaron and Moses right now? The people. Who's angry at the people and wants to kill the people? The Lord. He ran into the midst of a situation where they were angry at him. God was angry at them, and he risked his own life for the people. We have examples of pastors in this room that have come into our circumstances, whether we're happy with them or not, whether the Lord's happy with us or not, and they have sacrificed their time and their lives to pour into us and build us into who we're called to be. How much more should we put this into practice, not only for the body in here, but also for God's people? They have blessed us and transformed our lives through their word. How much more should we run into the midst of their lives and stand with them? Amen. Such a good word. And we're going to go to Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to pick up in verse 20. Say there boldly when you get there. We're talking about intercession, right? We're talking about 
What do we do with the revelation that we received? This is what Daniel did in Daniel 9, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. I'm going to tell you right now, in your own time, go and read Daniel 9. Read what Daniel was praying. He was literally inspired to pray in accordance to the word that came through the prophet Jeremiah. His prayer began because he understood the word of the prophet. Now I'm going to ask you plainly because I had to ask myself and challenge myself with this. How much of your prayer is inspired from the word of God? How much of your prayer is inspired based on what you read in the law and the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament? Let that sit on you. Yeah, Isaiah 62 speaks about giving yourself no rest and him no rest. It speaks about praying for Jerusalem. We can see that in Psalm 122 where it speaks about praying for the salvation of Jerusalem. How often do we just pray the things that we want to pray rather than, Lord, what do you want us to pray for? Come on, come on. His prayer, he was literally quoting the law of Moses. So he's inspired to pray from the prophets, and he begins to pray, and he's praying out of the law of, of Moses. I was driving to Lafayette the other night, and as I'm driving, I'm listening to the word, and I begin to pray, and my prayer just began to be what I was listening. I wasn't even thinking about it, but because I was desiring the word, because I was desiring to intercede on behalf of my pastors, on behalf of my family, my brothers, the word began to come out. It was a beautiful thing. The spirit was moving. I couldn't go to sleep. It was two o'clock in the morning. Well, I didn't want to go to sleep while I was driving. I mean, when I got there. But this is what the word does for you. When we're talking about interceding, we're not talking about praying because your kid got a fever. Yes, pray for that. We're talking about interceding, beginning to pray based on what you're reading in the word. Amen. Uh, I'm telling you, it will stir you up. It will cause you to stand on a day when nobody else wants to stand. This should provoke us to learn from the law, the prophets, and the writings how to make intercession for the people of God. Oh, God, just protect Israel. No, that's not what we're praying. We're not praying for the Lord to just be a shelter over Israel. We're praying that his will be done in their life. We're praying that they see that Adonai, the God of Israel, is still watching over them. That they would recognize that. That they would put their trust fully in him. Daniel was doing this knowing with a certainty that God would again deliver his people out of captivity. And Daniel wasn't alone. He knew from Jeremiah, it would be 70 years, but it didn't stop him from interceding. It spurred him on yeah. to intercede. Korah, take us to Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. Yeah. So Nehemiah 2, we're going to start in verse 16. It says, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had been doing. For up to this point, I had not told any of the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or the rest of the workers. Then I said to them, you see the problem that we have. Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned. Come on, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that this reproach will not continue. Back in Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah hears of the state of Jerusalem and the state of his brothers, the Jews. Making it very clear. Yeah. He is moved in a way that he hits his knees and begins to cry out to the Lord. 
And he begins to cry out to the Lord in a way that he is actually going back to the Tanakh. Like Paul just said, going back to the word and remembering what God has already said about his people. But it didn't stop with just prayer. The intercession that we have isn't just, I'm going to pray for you, brother. That is great. And we should keep doing that. But there's action that's involved with that. The next step he takes is he puts himself in a difficult position before the king. But because he was so moved for his brothers, he did do it. And he was granted that access. And so he was able to go into the land and to actually intercede. To actually help his brothers begin to rebuild. And you see it right here. Nehemiah 4.14. We don't have to go there. We're going to get hit this quick. When I had made an inspection, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awesome Lord and fight on behalf of your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your families. Intercession means putting yourself in a position that's difficult, it's hard, and it may even warrant your life. But it's worth doing it because of the people you're doing it for. Nehemiah recognizes the people of Israel, what God has already said about them and where they would be forever. The covenant that was there. And he goes back to establish that covenant. Fight because we're supposed to be here. Fight because we just came out of exile and we're reestablishing what God has already spoken about us as a people. Now, he doesn't explicitly say that in this verse. There's some context though. When you go back into to Nehemiah 9, or not go back, and you go to Nehemiah 9, read it on your own time. Read it on your own time and you will see explicitly time after time that Nehemiah is going back and praying what the Tanakh says about his people. The covenant, where they will be, how they were brought out of Exodus numerous times. If you want, you can ask us. You can, you can buy us a cigar. We'll sit down and talk to you. You can buy, you can buy Andrew an IPA or, or, or Dave Matthews tickets or beard balm. We would love to sit and talk to you about what happens when we look at what the word says starting at the beginning of the book and how that changes a man's life to actually intercede properly? How to know what to do immediately. There's not a second in Nehemiah's mind that does not know, is this the right thing to do? Of course it's the right thing to do. We're going to stand up and we're going to do this. And he builds the people back up. Where fear is there, he reminds them what has already been said because what God already said. It's not what man said. Getting back to what God said is the important thing, and that's what the Tanakh is. Amen. So we're going to go to Colossians with Daniel 9 and Nehemiah 2 and Nehemiah 4 in mind, and we're going to hear about a man named Epaphras. So Colossians 4, 12 through 13, in the net. Epaphras, who is one of you and a slave of Christ, greets you. He is always struggling in prayer on your behalf, so that you may... Stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I can testify that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Epaphras is a man who is described by Paul to be always struggling in prayer on your behalf. It doesn't stop there, though. The point of his wrestling is so that the church may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. The full gospel message from the beginning to the end. Paul goes on to say that he himself can testify that he has worked harder for you 
and the other two, for you and the other two churches in the area. What is Paul describing here? The church in Colossus is under a heretical attack, and Epaphras traveled to Rome to visit Paul, which led to the writing in the Colossian letter. There were false teachers that Epaphras recognized and knew that they needed to be stopped. A man that knew the word, the Tanakh, said and needed, said needed the aid of his disciple Paul to help in the endeavor. The Colossian letter was then penned to help set the church on better footing, but at the hard work of a man that stood by what the Tanakh said and fought for his brothers to stand on as well. Yeah. Epaphras, there was a situation in the church, and Epaphras knew what, what needed to be done. He traveled. He interceded in such a way that wasn't just like, hey, let's just work this out. He also traveled and put himself traveling all the way to Rome to see Paul because he needed to get, he needed to get aid from his brother. He needed to get aid from the man who changed his life. And to get him, what do we do? How do we do this? Because he cared about the people so much to a point, he was willing to travel thousands of miles to get help. So he can come back and intercede for the people the way he knew how. Amen. So that everything was set on right footing. That there weren't any, con any confusions about what the actual word of God says. And he does that. That's intercession. That's, that's with urgency and with the mindset of the people before you. You're going for the people. You see how the love for the, the Father and a love for the word spills out into a love for his people? Yeah. We can see this time after time. Ezra 7.10, I'm going to read it for you. It says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Amen. See, what I'm realizing in my life is the necessity to take personal responsibility to study the word, to teach the word, and to do the word. I know after this last Sunday, uh, my wife and I spent some time at the kitchen table going over some of the things with the, um, the, the teachings that's been handed down to us from Acts 2. And it was an amazing time, but realizing I, I can go to service after service and not truly put into practice what I know I must. And we can't just sit and soak these things in. We must actually share them with the people God's given to us. It's not someone else's job. It's our job to learn these things. Amen. It's not somebody else's job. It is our job to learn and do and teach these Amen. things. Read Nehemiah 8 on your own time, and you're going to see how Ezra opened the book. He stood in a unique way. He spoke in a powerful way, and he inspired those around him to stand in a familiar fashion. See, when we stand on the word like this, this sets an example to those around us, and it causes people to rally with us. We are learning from the Tanakh that there is action that must be taken as we devote ourselves to the studying of the word and the doing of the word. Saints, we ought to be known as those who sacrifice and love because of our interaction with the word of God. Yep. It is our service, driven by the word of God, that we are willing to fulfill the law. Yeah. Let's turn to 1 John three sixteen. Say there when you're there. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Man, I... I can't help with this, with this scripture. I can't help about 
our one association can't help but think can't help but think about our one association Europe team and what they are going to do and what all of you guys are also doing with giving up of possessions. Elder Eric sold, I mean, his truck, his beautiful truck. I mean, it's, he, it's awesome. And yet he gave that up yeah. because he's willing. That's a good leader. Yeah. These men, these families are giving up everything to begin this process. They're putting this word into practice. In fact, you know what? I would, I, would, I would implore you to write this scripture down as a remembrance of them. Write it down. Keep it with you in your stone pouch. Write down their names on that card. Think about these families constantly and keep being in prayer for them. But they're showing us exactly what must be done. They're showing us how we intercede. They are putting themselves where they need to be, where God wants them to be. Because they're knowing the process. Isaiah 49 is on their heart. You can see it. You, can, you know it. They know what must be done. They know where they need to go. They know the, the aim of bringing Jewish people back to Israel. They know the work that they are starting that will be completed by their sons and daughters is going to accomplish just that. And I say that with full confidence. Amen. Full confidence. Pastor Massey, it's for you too. They have counted the cost. They have decided to lay down their lives. They have decided to love with deed and truth. Yeah. And you know this so very clearly about these people. Amen. We can attest to it. We know it's good. As we're starting to wind down to a close, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed Knowing from who you learned it, and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, completely, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Men of God... Who have poured out their lives into the scripture and who have let the scripture pour out into their life, they're worth imitating. They're worth following. I can tell you right now, that is what has kept me in this house. Because I don't just hear men saying things that sound good. I've been corrected. I've been rebuked. I've been encouraged and I've been trained in righteousness according to the word of God. And that's all that I've desired. And these men have demonstrated love for me, and that is how I'm going to demonstrate love for others according to the word of God. We have men who have taught us to actually go back to the Tanakh. Look, what we're, what we're telling you tonight is not a new concept. 
But it is a revelation that's being renewed inside of each one of us. And it's causing us to intercede in a new way. It's causing us to pray according to the word, to take action according to the word of God. We have men who have entrusted what's been given to them. They've entrusted it to us. And we don't take that lightly. And we're encouraging you tonight. We're imploring you tonight. Do not take lightly what you've been given. Go and take action with it. Our aim, church, is to handle what they've been get, or what they've given to us rightly. We are to be inspired and ready to continue in the study of the Tanakh to help others like we have been helped to lay a better foundation. So we're going to talk about some testimonies tonight. All right. Uh, so I've been reading through a couple of books or a few over the past month. And I was reminded earlier this week about a man that you probably have heard of or some of you may have. He's a Jewish man who is a pastor, and he was from Bucharest, Romania. His name was Richard Wormbrand. And one of the beautiful things about his salvation experience is that there was a man whose dying wish was that he could see a Jew led to Christ. And the Lord put it on, on Richard Wormbrand's heart to go to this certain city that this man was at praying that a Jew would be saved. This was his salvation experience because a man did not shirk off his responsibility for the people of Israel. He took responsibility and said, Lord, I want to see salvation for Jews. Could that happen through my hands? See, we need to throw off any excuses of, well, I, I, I don't know any Jews. I, I don't know these people. I, whatever excuses in our heart and our minds are in our lips, we need to throw those things off and take personal responsibility to say, no, Lord, I don't know any, but would, would one perhaps come before me? And I might have the opportunity to give them Bible. I might have an opportunity to say, man, your word has so transformed my, my life. I love the Tanakh. I love your people. I stand with Israel, and I stand with the people that I can only have salvation through. When we take personal responsibility, we'll see the Lord's plans fulfilled in our lives. Amen. How about Hebron? We heard uh, testimony about Hebron going and standing at the, the Shabbat service for uh, Yafit's brother and the time that they had there. And I love what Treister said, that they had to make a decision, right? And they already have this in their mind. If it's something for Israel, it's not much of a decision. We're going to do it. We don't care the cost. We are going to do it. The things that they're putting in practice are exactly what we're talking about. They had the opportunity to go to that, that service and, and speak with the rabbi and speak their stance with the Lord's people. It's an example of what it looks like to stand with the people of God. Yeah. They set aside an evening to stand with them, to take away their own time because they knew what is important to be with God's people. And they received a blessing because of this. They were blessed because they blessed God's people. So, Hebron household, thank you guys for walking out the Torah. The Robinsons. They stood with Israel by literally entrusting their child on the day of rage to God's people. This is what it looks like for a husband and a wife to stand on convictions in time of uncertainty. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Thank you, Robinsons, for setting a practical example in this house. Amen. I mean, these testimonies, as we're listening to them come from the people who are, are partaking in them, it's moving our heart. I can tell you, it will only move you more as you begin to have those testimonies for yourself. 
if you go back to the word, if you intercede according to the word, and you are willing to take action according to the word, the Lord will provide those opportunities. I myself am saying, Lord, I want to be able to speak on these revelations I'm receiving. The Lord has corrected me and said, you need to get these deeper inside of you. You, so that you can show others well, so that you can live well, teach them well, and do them well. But my brothers had a testimony they shared with me last night from the Potter's House. The Potter's House is the Coras and the Tisdales, if you didn't know. So, so Adam, he works in the uh, solar, solar industry. industry, and there's a contractor that he met who happened to be a Jew. He met with him, and he began to speak with him. And he invited them uh, to come into his home, him and his wife, to come into their home. And they, they accepted the invite. They had an opportunity to read the word of God with this man and his wife. What they were reading about and what they were speaking about their engagement in the word was about the man, the land, and the plan. Can, can you just imagine what must have been going on inside of that couple's hearts? How they may have been moved the, the wife said that she hadn't read Torah since she was in third grade. Could you imagine hearing Torah being read by Gentiles? By Gentiles saying, hey, thank you for your book. And, and then maybe not even fully understanding that, but then being able to walk them through why you can say that and what that would do in their hearts. Wow. They stood with God's people in a time of uncertainty and difficulty. Difficulty. They were surprised, but yet they were grateful for their words. They received what they had to say. And I can assure you, there's going to be more of that in this room. There's going to be more of those kinds of interactions. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy 2.15 for our closing scripture. Yeah. And what's exciting is they, they want to do it again. Yes. And, they want to, and they want to meet more of you guys. Come on. 2 Timothy 2.15. Make every effort to present yourself before God as a proven worker who does not need to be ashamed, teaching the message of truth accurately. Saints, we are to be proven workers who can handle the word of truth rightly, to intercede in our brothers' lives. This requires personal responsibility on the part of the saints, you. Personal responsibility. So what must we do? We must throw off the cowardly thoughts that we can't do this. We must throw off the cowardly thoughts that you're too old or you're not a good learner. Pretty much everybody in the room. We were given the word to be able to know God's will and understand his plan. The word of God was not, it's preserved by the Jewish people. And we have the opportunity to read it. We have the opportunity to uh, Join in with God's plan for his people, for salvation. That isn't so that you have no idea what you're doing. It isn't so that you uh, can't do it. He wants you to do this. He wants you. Why, why do you think the word is preserved for so long so that he can come to it and have it? What we need to do is ask Adonai to strengthen us and have confidence that he will. Giving us what we need. Rise up in the study of the Tanakh to stand rightly with Israel through the difficulty and aid our brothers to understand. 
So I ask you tonight, how do you read it? How do you read your Bible? Jesus specifically asked, what is written in the law? He taught from the Tanakh. Jesus, our Messiah, taught from the Tanakh. We say that we know that, but we don't often read our word according to that. Everyone in this room is now more responsible today than you were last week. Yes. Yes, that is a good conviction in your heart. You are now more responsible, having heard what you heard, having nodded your head and agreed, you are more responsible to now act on that conviction and reverse the ignorance in your own life. Do you find yourself defending your faith and presenting the gospel from the New Testament only? Yep, I've been that guy. Our lives and our families and this church will only grow as we turn our hearts to God's perfect law. This simple truth must be impressed upon our hearts and the hearts of our children. So when you're reading the New Testament, we're not saying stop reading the New Testament. When you're reading the New Testament and you're being inspired, it should cause you to retread Old Testament passages, which those scriptures are built upon so that you can better understand it and put it into practice. Have you... Amen. Have you received a revelation from the word of God with gratitude and then walked away solely thinking it's about you? Yes. Yes, I have. Thank you, God, for my mezuzah scriptures. Oh, wait. That was their mezuzah scriptures. Oh, wait. The mezuzah is based on what you do for others, not about you. So, repent. It's that easy. The revelation that you've been privileged to receive has come about because someone bled over it. Remember that. What you're building your life on, the word of God, which you are doing in this house, somebody bled for you to receive that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You should be inspired to love and serve better because of the revelation that you're receiving. And if you can't do that, in this body, you won't do it to a Jew or a Muslim. Lastly, Moses and Aaron, Ittai, Daniel, Nehemiah, Jesus, Paul, they all set examples of laying down their lives for their brothers. We read that. Old and New Testament, we've seen men of God, people of God, of Israel, that, and Gentiles that laid down their life for the nation of Israel. They displayed an active intercession. What does your active, what has your active intercession look like? And if you can't answer that question, meaning I just prayed, what more have you done? If you can't answer that question, whether or not, I question whether or not you've actually had a revelation from the word. It was a knowledge and revelation of the word of God that moved those men to take action. And when we receive that revelation, we must take action. So more than how you read the word, Jesus said, do this and you will live. Why don't y'all give them a hand? Worship team, why don't you make your way up here? Whether you were planning to or not, you're about to lead us in worship. I want to thank these gentlemen for 
furthering what God is laying in a foundation in our entirety of our church. What's happening, guys, is that God is aligning us with the biblical understanding of what the gospel is. The gospel that is Israel-dependent. You know, we've been blessed to see God's hand and favor for the past three weeks. That as we're getting a better grasp of what the gospel is, God is entrusting to us encounters with the Jewish people. I mean, the past three weeks, been two Jewish men that have stopped by the shop where Nick has had an opportunity to speak with him. Even that glorious moment when we're sitting at a restaurant, our waiter comes up, and the first thing that we notice is his name tag. And his name is Zim. Z-I-M. I'm like, yeah, I got to know exactly what your full name is. So Wade and I asked him. His name was Zimron. Zimron is the name of the, the firstborn that Abraham had with Keturah. We're encountering God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, as our gospel message is aligning with what God has already said from the very beginning. So I just got two scriptures. And in light of reading the Newer Testament with the foundation of the Tanakh, I want you to see something of what we're doing. So this is Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist, better said he is the baptizer. He was not a Presbyterian, Baptist, or Methodist, or anything else. Hallelujah. In those days, John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Now catch that. John the baptizer is fulfilling a prophetic word from the prophets that was spoken roughly 760 years prior to his existence on earth. And he's fulfilling it as a Jew in Israel. And it quotes, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. See, John was sent ahead of the revealing of Messiah. He was sent ahead to prepare the people of Israel's hearts to receive Jesus being in their midst. And lo and behold, whenever Jesus was to be baptized, it was John who said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. You know how John recognized that? Because he was in right relationship with God and in right relationship with God's word. He could recognize the son of God in front of him and saw the promises start to be fulfilled. Well, what is being quoted in Matthew 3 is Isaiah 40. And I'll just read a couple of passages. Starting in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That record of her sins is now folded over and canceled. Then verse 3, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. 
and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When this is being quoted in Matthew 3, it's not just quoting verse 3. It's quoting the entire context of what Isaiah is prophesying about. Prophesying about the iniquity of Israel being atoned for. The salvation and restoration of Israel being uh, taken care of. And the glory of God being displayed through them. So as Gentiles, we look at this and say it is our debt to the nation of Israel that we get to participate with them in God's word, in the Tanakh, and with the salvation that comes through them and is to affect the whole world. So we're in an hour and seven minutes and we're about to worship a little bit and have an altar call, so you guys need to wake up. It's easy to come in on a Thursday night and be sedate. I'm going to do four passages with you quickly. The first is Deuteronomy 32, 9. For the Lord's portion, whose portion? The Lord's. Is his people. Do you care if God gets what he wants? Yeah. Are you sure this, this is not all about what you want? That the goal of God was not just your salvation. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. You know what an inheritance is? It's something that only occurs after a death. It's something that you wait for. Something that is costly. Something that is yours by right but can only be bestowed after a death. What God is waiting to inherit is Israel. So I'm going to ask you, do you care about what God wants to inherit, or did you make yourselves the object of his affection alone? Christians are really bad about this. We read John 3.16, and we think he would have died just for you. That is not true. It's not even what John 3.16 says or means or could be misconstrued to say. God wants to inherit Israel. So I'm going to ask you again, do you want God to receive what he wants? Yes. Yes. Ezekiel 36.23. I will show the holiness of my great name. Is God's name holy? Yes. Which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you, Israel, before their eyes. You want the world to know Jesus? Yes. You want the world to be saved? That only happens when God's name is vindicated because he does exactly what he said he would do for Israel. So I'm asking you, do you care about God's name? Yes. If you care about what God wants to inherit and you care about God's name, listen to Psalm 106 and let's read verses 4 and 5. Remember me. 
That's an easy one. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Do you see the outsider's perspective here? Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them. That I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. That I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. You know who will be able to say that? Those that cared about God receiving what he said he wants to inherit. Those that care about the holiness of God's name and those that are praying for what God wants. He wants an inheritance. He wants his name held high. He has an objective. He has desires. And it is glorious when you join in God's objective and God's desires. Amen. We're going to begin to sing here in just a minute. Have you made your relationship with the Lord Ever so slightly selfish? It's a normal thing. Children don't think about how their parents feel about anything. Their parents are there to provide for them. Their parents are there to give them good things. Their parents are there to protect them. Their in fact, children almost never ask their parents, what could I do for you, mom or dad? Until they have their own kids. And then they start thinking that way. It's time for us to grow up in our salvation and think about what God wants, what he cares about, what he has staked his name on, and what he has said is the desire of his affection. If those things haven't been that important to you, you you've been given some practical steps. Go back and read the first 39 books that you skip over or use as a footnote for the metaphor that you would like to draw on in the New Testament. When you get acquainted with what God wants and you love him, you start to love what he loves. Our last passage. Romans 5. No. Revelation 5. Amen. Verse 5. Jesus Christ was not a Jew. He is a Jew. He did not spend 33 years as a Jew, and is now something else. You know him as the lamb. Behold, the lamb come to take away the sin of the world. That is not how heaven calls him. And that is not his eternal name. Revelation 5.5. 5, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is to say he is a Jew eternally God's objective has never changed his desire has never changed his plan has never changed the only thing that is changing and needs to change is that we care about what he wants to inherit that we care about what he says his objective is that we take joy in seeing God's glorious inheritance become all that he says she will be. He is the lion of the tribe of the Jews. Judah is where we get Jews. 
by the way, is also the root of David, and he's triumphed, and he's able to open the scrolls. He has conquered. The world could not stop the king of Israel from taking his nation from what they were to what he said they would be. That's what this is about. We're going to worship triumphantly. There's been a lot of teaching in these last few weeks. I'm going to suggest that you take serious adjustments in your hearts. And I'm going to be honest about this. Those of you that have been Christians the longest have the biggest problem with this. You might know how to answer the fill-in-the-blank question, but the truth is you've spent enough time thinking about your personal salvation, enough time thinking about the Lord ministering to you, enough time thinking about you and the Lord that you have not spent enough time thinking about what the Lord actually wants in the earth. And so when you read a passage, you put you in the center of it. We have to grow up. And those paradigms have to shift. The world's going to force it to shift here very soon. We're trying to get you ahead of the curve. Make the adjustments in your heart. You might need to spend some time at this altar realizing that you have spent decades in Christianity selfishly ignoring the one. Did you know that Israel is mentioned more than 2,500 times by the singular name Israel in the Bible? How did you get the idea this was about you? might need to adjust, especially those of you that have been preaching. You've been preaching the 66 books of the Bible without Israel as the center of it? If you allow the Lord to adjust your thoughts, you might just get to finish your life well. Would you all stand to your feet? If that's offensive to you, good. It's offensive to me that anybody could make somebody else the star of the book. We have a chance to align ourselves with what God wants. Father, we are asking here that you teach us. Lord, we say we stand with Israel and it's, it, it's a bumper sticker if we're not careful and we don't want that. What we want is actually to stand with you. We want to stand with you in what you say will happen. What you desire to happen. Lord, we want to see the holiness of your name vindicated before every nation in the world. We want to get this right. So it's necessary that we come before you humbly and say, we've so often not gotten this right. More often than not. We feel special because you adopted us, Lord. And we have forgotten about who you said your firstborn is. Lord, forgive us for diminishing the people who gave us this book. Forgive us, mighty God, for, for putting ourselves in the center of every blessing and leaving difficulties for the one people that you have set out to redeem for yourself. Lord, would you move in this room to help a Gentile church in love with you start to develop your heart for your people. Lord, I know that you're able to move us towards the way, the truth, and the life. I know that you are able to move us to properly understand your word. 
And I'm asking here and now for this body that you've made us responsible for. Help us, mighty God. Help us with revelation. Help us, mighty God, with a passion to intercede. Help us, Lord, to adopt your objectives, your desires. Lord, I repent. I repent for this congregation for being selfish in the way that we look at your book. Lord, would you break our hearts and put them back together again so that when we sing about the lion of the tribe of Judah, it actually means what it's supposed to mean. Lord, that we might weep with the apostle John over the fate of Israel until we realize you are doing it. Father, we give you this time and we don't want to rush on from it lest we be guilty of preaching and not doing. Help us here. Minister to us here. Help us to understand what we've been grafted into. Come and move in us, mighty ones. Come and give us a correct heart posture. Lord, open our eyes that we might see the wonderful things in your law that you have designed for your people. Help us to love what seems unlovable to us at times. Help us to stand, mighty God, and believe what you say is the outcome. 